Welcome to the Trinity Table Talk Podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I am Andrew Winnegar, and on this week's episode, I'll be interviewing Father Tim Suits on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, specifically within the context of the liturgy of our Sunday mornings. We'll be reminded that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us and sanctifies us. It is He who brings God to us and us to God. So we've talked about what have been the last few weeks. We've got the doctrine of God. We've got the Trinity. We've got Christology. Um, I thought it would be fun to have an episode where we just talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, because when I first went to, well, first went to Wellspring and then Trinity. But what I'm about to say is true of both, really. Um, I encountered something I didn't expect. The charismatic element to the Diocese of the Rocky Mountains. Um, if you were to ask young me, uh, I would have, I would have said that charismatic and liturgy, um, are diametrically opposed. Mm. Uh, they, they can't exist in the same space. I think functionally there's probably an, uh, assumption of being charismatic means spontaneous, but I think this gives a, a really, um, great avenue to talk about the Holy Spirit, specifically in the Holy Spirit in our liturgy. How do we understand the Holy Spirit working in and through our liturgy? Well, that's a great way to tee up the question of the Holy Spirit, because we could go in so many different directions. Um, as any of these episodes could be, that could be you know a whole series of podcasts that could go on for years, and we never exhaust it. So let me just, yeah, look at the Holy Spirit in the liturgy itself. Now, first things first, I'd like to just point out that all Christians are charismatic by nature because uh, charisma, charism just means gift. Um, the Spirit is the one who bestows gifts upon his people. And all Nicene Christians are uh, Christians that believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who is the dynamic bond between Father and Son and the perfect love that the Father has to the Son and the Son has to the Father. He is the one that orders all things. We see him in, in Genesis 1-2 hovering over the waters. He is the one that brings regeneration and new life by his cleansing power. Um, he is the, the, the winged member of the Trinity. He's the one that's going about doing things all over the place. In the Old Testament, he goes upon someone and all of a sudden Samson can do crazy things, right? You know, he, Samson, we often think of Samson as like this big buff guy, but it's interesting in the story of Samson, normally what happens is people are shocked that Samson can do like crazy acts of strength. So there's a thought, maybe he was just a normal scrawny guy look like, looking like me or something. And the Holy Spirit just comes upon him and he can do something incredible. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers various works of God in the world and in God's people. So it's fitting that at the beginning of every single service, we announce together our dependence on the power and activity of God, the Holy Spirit, to work in and through us. The only way we can even have a worship service, the only way that we can worship our triune God and enter into his presence is if the power of God who is the Holy Spirit, uniquely appropriated to the third person of the Trinity, is if the Holy Spirit comes upon us in strength and power 
so that we might be um, lifted into the presence of God and worship his perfect name. And so if you might notice that, you know, after we give the blessing, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever, we say the prayer of purity. And it's fundamentally a um, pneumatological prayer. If you hear the word pneumatology or pneumatological in this podcast, all that means is um, by the Holy Spirit. So pneuma means spirit or breath of God. And that's a, a way that theologians talk about the Holy Spirit. So it's a pneumatological prayer. And this is how it goes. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. What do we see in that prayer? It is by the Holy Spirit that we are purified, sanctified, washed, and cleansed. I mean, if you remember, the way to get to God in the Old Testament is for the high priest is to be cleansed of sin. Well, the Holy Spirit's the one that does that cleansing. He applies the work of Jesus Christ to us. Um, and he's the one that empowers worship. You can't even begin to worship unless the Holy Spirit, who is the dynamic act and power of God, comes upon you and brings you into a posture of worship. So actually, the Anglican liturgy begins by crying out to the Holy Spirit to give power, cleansing, strength, and even a heart to worship God. Because we don't come into worship with that heart. I know I don't. And so whenever we pray that prayer, you know, we can often pray it in a rote way, or we can pray it as a true crying out to the Spirit, that unless he chooses to work, this worship service is for nothing. It is only by the Spirit that we can even begin to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. I find that so comforting. Um, so many times in life when you're in the throes of fighting the flesh, mortifying sin, which is really any day we just pay attention to it. It's not like specific seasons. Um, it's comforting to know that the Holy Spirit is the main actor there. Mm. We're joining in his work mm -hmm. as he sanctifies us mm -hmm. and purifies us, mm -hmm. even to the point that Sunday morning worship, I can't, I can't pray a prayer if, if he doesn't bring me before the Father. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I often think about recovery. Whenever you talk to someone in recovery, um, they always talk about, I am sober today, right? So the war with my flesh, I have enough strength for today. And so the Christian ought to begin, if you have a sin you're fighting with or something in your heart that, is, that you're struggling with, it begins with that prayer for the Spirit to give you strength and power to fight with sin that day, that day, to, to give you what you need for that moment. And then if at the end of the day, you have experienced some victory over sin, whether it's great or it's small, the response is never, I've had a great day. I've done so wonderfully, right? You know, I, you know, was tempted and I didn't fall into temptation. Rather, the response ought to always be, Spirit, thank you. Thank you for what you did in me today. Thank you that my acts of obedience and my acts of reliance upon you are actually your acts within my acts 
your work within my work, um, your obedience within my obedience. And yes, it, it felt in the moment deeply like your obedience, just like when you're worshiping God. It feels deeply in the moment like it's your worship you're offering to God. But when we zoom out and see what God's actually doing, it doesn't diminish our individuality. Rather, it amplifies it, that the Spirit is working in us perfectly, giving us a power, giving us a strength, giving us His perfect Trinitarian love that we don't have, and He's perfecting our worship. He's leading us into holiness. He's sanctifying us. He's washing us as a pure act of grace. So really, when we talk about, you know, uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit, from top to bottom, what we're talking about is grace that is a gift from God, a gift that he exercises in our lives. Hmm. So the next point in the liturgy is uh, the reading of Scripture, Mm -hmm. the sermon. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit last week about um, Christ and Christ as the revelation, the Logos of God. So how do we understand the reading of scripture, even preaching, um, as uniquely Holy Spirit filled. Mm, that's right. Um, if you if you notice at the end of every reading, we say this is the word of the Lord, right? We are saying we have just read the word of God, but it's not merely that; it's that God has spoken in this place by His word, right? It doesn't merely attest to a past word God has spoken. Rather, it is a current word God is speaking to his people. It's a divine address whereby the presence of Christ, the Lagos, is speaking in this moment to his people. And that always happens by the Spirit. Second Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that can take the words of fallen human beings and sanctify them and unite them to Christ Jesus himself, the Logos, and make them the word of God. You know, how can the word of man be made the word of God? How dare we say this is the word of the Lord on a Sunday morning? Only because we say the true agent here that is making this the word of the Lord is not the fallen person in front of me. It doesn't rely upon their cunning or their strength or their creativity. Rather, it is purely a work of the Holy Spirit to make these fallen words the very words of God to us. And so, you know, I think that's important when we pick up scripture. And we ought to pick up scripture with that same understanding when we read it privately in our homes asking spirit speak today spirit open up my heart open up my ears open up my eyes that i might feel the presence of jesus hear his perfect words see his pierced hands and feet for me that is a work that only the spirit can do he is the one that can make the scales fall from our eyes he can make the deaf hear. And every time we hear God's word rightly, we recognize it's a miraculous work of the Spirit to break into our existence and bring forth the very word of God. Last uh, last season, I always want to say semester. You can tell that I'm recently graduated. That sure. Because yeah. I always want to say semester. Last season in small groups, we, uh, we did a practice 
called Lectio Divina, mm. which is a devotional reading of scripture. And I think that practice in particular made this hit home for me because it was, uh, I don't know, it was easy to read the Bible and just treat it like any other textual study. Um, but to slow down and recognize that the Holy Spirit is speaking right now, is making this word alive. This isn't just ink on a page. This is an, an address from God to me. Mm-hmm. I think that was, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think that, that that's, I, I love that, Andrew. You know, I've, I've shared this with people before in our church, but I'm deeply concerned about modern biblical interpretations and the methodology that is used. And often how the methodology goes is this. In order for us to be respectable, in the broader world, we need to treat the Bible with the same standards as maybe uh, the Odyssey or the Iliad, right? These other historical books. And you need to purely look at the human authorial intent, things like that. Well, there's there's something that can be helpful in that in a very limited way. However, none of those books can you say, after you've read them, this is the word of the Lord, when we pick up the Bible, when we read the Bible publicly, when the Bible is expounded upon in a sermon, we recognize this is a text that is utterly distinct in itself. This is holy scripture, meaning sanctified text, sanctified word. It is different than any other text that has ever been written because what we believe is that it is active. It speaks, it creates, because there is a agent, the Holy Spirit, that through the scriptures brings us to the very word himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he addresses his people through his word. This is a book like no other. This is a word like no other because it is unified to the one who is the word that spoke creation into existence and can speak you into new existence. So that's the one thing I just always want to remind people is um, this is not just any book. This is not just any book. Um, this is the very word of God by the Holy Spirit. Which, you know, we can see these, you know, these other moments in the liturgy that are maybe helpful to think about. So, for example, um, after people confess their sins, what happens? There's, a, there's an absolution, Right. In the absolution, what is being stated, it's a pronouncement of forgiveness onto God's people, which means it's an application of the work of Christ to Christ's people. Whenever the work of Christ is applied, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember, is that dynamic agent, the one going about doing stuff. And so he's the one that takes everything that is Jesus's and he clothes you in it. So, you know, you can think about the Holy Spirit as a tailor that clothes you in Christ's righteousness. He's active. He's, he's getting after it. He's the one that's moving and shaking, right? He is the, he is the one that, you know, um, he hovers over the waters in the beginning. He brings peace, right? We think about the Spirit as the one that brings peace, and he applies the peace of Christ to us as the one that hovers over our hearts, bringing order by his great rhythm as a, as a dove upon us. Um, uh, you can think about him, you know, and, and just, uh, he, he's the one that washes us, right? You know, he's a, he's a comforter as well. He, he's, I don't know, he's all kinds of different things. But whenever we think about something like even the absolution, 
that's an application of Christ's work to us. We know that's the place where the Spirit is front and center at work, leading us to the presence of Christ. And then right after that absolution is given to us, we go around and we pass the peace to others. So tell me about the Holy Spirit's work in that. Yeah, the passing of the peace is the priesthood of all believers um, pronouncing the peace of God to one another, but also visibly, viscerally, tangibly revealing that we are united by the Holy Spirit. You know, the church itself is a miracle. The church itself is meant to show that God can take even fallen people, narcissistic people, people that are the center of their own universe and bind them together as one in the Son, by the, you know, in the body of Christ. This is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together joins into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He makes us into a temple. He makes us into a family. He makes us into a kingdom. He unifies us together. And the passing of the peace is this beautiful image of the work of the Spirit to bring peace amongst people that would not normally be at peace otherwise. Um, I actually love that image too. Of It's one of the many reasons why I'm liturgical is what does the liturgy show us of, you know, in, in a very tangible way? It's a bunch, it's a diverse group of people, right? You know, with different voices and heights and skin colors, all kinds of things, right? Saying the same thing. It's the many being brought into one voice. It's the many being brought into one voice. That's why liturgy shows us our individuality is not the most significant thing about us in the church. Our individuality matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. Rather, we speak, we act, we love as one. And the liturgy shows us as we speak and act and love as one that we are being united by one spirit with one voice in one body to worship the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's work, the Spirit's the unifier too. The Spirit's the one that can make us one body, make us one temple. He's the one that binds us together. And I think the liturgy, not just the passing of the peace, but the whole liturgy shows that beautifully. And then, and that's followed by like, uh, we we pray together the Lord's Prayer while holding each other's hands. And then we we gather together to celebrate this thing called communion. Mm-hmm. And that, I feel like that's just like hitting the nail on the head. Like the Holy Spirit brings us together and the Holy Spirit's bringing us together to bring us to Christ. To bring us to Christ. Yes. Yes. I want to hear more about the Holy Spirit's work in Eucharist. Yeah. But I, I also just think of that act of unifying in that. Yeah. So let's talk about the Eucharist a little bit, and especially that unifying component in the Eucharist. So the Eucharist normally begins with what is called the Sursum Corda, and it's the lifting up of the hearts. I say, lift up your hearts, and everyone responds, we lift them to the Lord. Well, remember, whenever we say things like we lift, what we are saying is we are being lifted. Mm -hmm. 
by the Spirit, right? Where do we believe Christ Jesus is right now? He's in the church, absolutely. Um, His divinity is everywhere. But his physical body, which is what we feast upon, is at the right hand of God. So how can God, the, uh, you know, the very presence of, of Christ Jesus, his body, be present to us? Only if we are made present to him, right? His body can't be everywhere all of the time. This is the great debate between the Lutherans and the um, Anglicans and Reformed is we don't think his body can be everywhere all the time. He has one body, and it's at the right hand of God. But luckily, by grace, we have one Holy Spirit who brings things places, who transverses infinite gaps. He is the Scotty of the, you know, the, the Trinity. You know, beam me up, Scotty. Remember that from Star Trek? He can take you to the very presence of Jesus Christ. So when we are entering into the Eucharistic celebration, we are walking into the very courtroom of God where Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says, come, feed upon my flesh, drink, upon, drink of my blood, be nourished in your very souls. And that can only happen, only happen, if the Holy Spirit carries us, lifts us up to the sun. Hmm. That's so good. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful image. Um, you know the. I I just love the image of the Spirit. It's like this, the member of the Trinity that's going around doing stuff constantly, right? He is active, dynamic, agent, and he's able to transverse infinite realities and bring people like you and me into the very presence of Christ Jesus. And it can only happen because he is perfectly divine. He's not, you know, this kind of secondary category of divinity. He is divinity himself. He is the third member of the Trinity. And therefore, when we see just normal people you know, me or Kyle or Carrie, you know, giving out the Eucharist, you know, uh, giving out the, the bread and the wine. Really who you ought to be seeing is Christ Jesus himself serving you in his body and in his blood by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, the service ends with the sending, which is also interesting, right? And I'd like to point out this last thing, and maybe we could conclude here, Andrew. Uh, maybe I'm getting a bit rambly on this one. Maybe the Holy Spirit <laughs> deserves to be a bit rambly because he's just so uh, he's so hard to get your, your head around. Um, I always want to remind people that the very first act of the liturgy is getting out of bed on Sunday morning and getting to church. That is the first act of your liturgical service. Outside of the communion and gathering, the liturgy does not occur. The very first act of the liturgy is the Holy Spirit calling towards his people and empowering his people to choose over the multitude of other options that you might have to say the most important thing about you is your relationship with me. So get up, let's go, let's gather. And then that's his first movement, right? Remember, he's the dynamic agent of the Trinity. He gathers, but then he also scatters at the end. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Three hallelujahs, right? The Trinitarian hallelujahs. And we recognize that as we go forth, we, 
we still go forth empowered by the presence of the Spirit. The temple is not only in the communion of saints, not only in the gathered worship, but the temple of God goes forth with us because God himself is dwelling within us to empower us to the tasks ahead. Whether that's parenting your children in grace, loving your neighbor, loving the coworker down the cubicle from you, you do not go forth in your own strength. It's not like saying, okay, get all the strength you need on a Sunday morning and then coast on that the rest of the week. Rather, we say you are empowered by the very strength of God. Now go forth in the strength that you have in him. You don't go forth alone. You go forth empowered and filled with God himself. Hmm. I remember my first experience of liturgy. I can't, I think I was in high school. I don't even know what the circumstances were, but I remember that, that the procession happening and the, the person bearing the word, the person bearing the, the crucifer. Um, and then the, the priests were all walking out and then gave the final thing. And I remember being offended because I was like, who are you to say that Jesus is out the building now that mm. service is done? Mm. Um, but I think it was later on that I, I keyed into to what you just said of this, is, this isn't the Holy Spirit leaving us because the service is over and we're going to like drink coffee or whatever. Um, it's the Holy Spirit going before us. Mm. And that tangible reminder that, mm. yeah, like all, all the work we do, all the ministry we do, the Holy Spirit was there first. Amen. Amen. Not us. Amen. I think it's a great way to conclude. And that's, uh, that's the word I hope our people hear um, in the ministry of Trinity and hopefully even in this podcast. What you just said, the Spirit going before us is already there. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.